Thank you, sir. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you guys today. It's good to be back with family. It's good to be back with uh, people that I know are are here and, and here on purpose and here for a reason. Um, and if that's our church family here and your members, then I'm, I'm so thankful to get time with you. If you're a guest, I'm especially excited that you're here because for each of us, there was a starting point for us where we came in and, and our lives were flipped upside down, where we got exposed to a God whose love was undeniable, a God whose love was relentless, a God who would come after us no matter what, um, and who wanted to do real work in our lives and in our hearts and, and fight through hurts that we'd been burying and, and scars that we'd been hiding and mistakes that we'd been running away from for our whole lives. And this was a beginning point for us. And so, like Brent said this morning, my prayer is that God would bless you to the point that you can't help but be a blessing to others, right? Sometimes we feel like we're just doing good to just scrape by, right? And, and God is like, no, I've got so much more for you than that. I've got a, a life prepared for you where you are a blessing and a source of strength for the people around you, um, way more than just getting by um, day to day. So um, you've got notes in your bulletin. We're going through a series called Unmistakable, and it's Life Lessons from First Peter. And First Peter is a letter written to Gentile Christians, so non-Jewish um, based Christians who did the right thing. They were following Christ, and because they did the right thing, they were being punished for it. So these, the recipients of this letter in, the, in Peter's time followed Christ, did everything right, and because of that, their families, their government, everyone was turning against them. They were being persecuted, driven from their home, losing jobs, losing family connections. Like it was, It's a hard thing to do the right thing and get punished for it. Right, And so Peter writes to them and he says, we need to not give up hope. And in fact, God's going to strengthen you in a way that when you come out on the other end of it, if you stay with him, you are going to be unmistakable. That there will be things about you that people will look at. And, and just like Jesus' disciples, when, when Jesus' disciples were walking around and they were, they were just making, a huge, making huge waves, changing people's lives, and, and the, uh, the opposition looked at them and said, these are unschooled, ordinary men right? There was nothing special about them. And then they noted these men had been with Jesus. And that was all they knew that. They're like, I don't know a lot about them, but I know they were with Jesus. And because of that, they're different. And so we talked about having unmistakable confidence and how when you walk with God and he takes you through some stuff, then you can walk through scary situations with a confidence that nobody knows, right? With when everyone else is filled with anxiety, you know, not that you don't feel anxious, but you're able to plow through and you're able to keep going because you know that God has got your back. And last week we talked about um, unmistakable holiness. Now holiness isn't like me, you know, dressing up fancy and looking better than you. Holiness is me getting down in the muck like Jesus and, and being different from the world, but different from the world in a way that saves others in a way that's a hope and a beacon of light for others. And today is probably your least favorite one because today is unmistakable submission. And submission is not something we're super excited about, right? It's the, it's the S word in your marriage vows, right? It's the one you, you hope the preacher doesn't talk about, right? The submission is a, a scary thing. When I was a kid, we would play a game called mercy, right? And you would lock hands with someone, you'd try to bend their wrist back, and they'd have to tap out and cry mercy if you overpowered them. They had to submit. And when I think of that, like I'm not, submission is not for me, right? And that's how it's portrayed a lot. And honestly, for some of our experiences, some of us have very good reasons to, for picturing it that way. Some of us have been in relationships that were the emotional equivalent of someone bending our wrist backwards until we tapped out, right? And so we have a reason for feeling that way, but that is not at all 
what God has in mind for us, and we see that in the life of Jesus. But submission, ultimately, it's an act of submitting to the authority or control of another. It's giving up control of your life, control of something to someone else, and that is the hardest thing for me. I do not like letting others have control, really, of anything. Right? Like if we're going on a long drive, I want to be the one driving. If we're, if we're starting a project, I want to be in the driver's seat for it. I want to make the plans because I, I just feel like it'll go better if I do. And that's a really arrogant way to feel. But honestly, that's, it's scary to let that go sometimes. And I think that's for a lot of us. Um, the Greek word for it, hupotasso, is, is a military term meaning arranging divisions under leaders. Right, So it's, it's taking a group of people and saying, you are now under this person. Right? You, are, you are going to submit to their orders and they're going to go forward. Um, or a non-military use, the, the voluntary giving in of cooperating in a way that says, I'm going to let you lead out on this one. And I think that's where we've, we've lost it a little bit in, in our picture of, of mercy or, or submission as being a, a win-loss game, right? Where if, if I give in, that means you won and I lost, right? Or where if I give something up to you, that means that I am at a disadvantage now. And in human terms, that is often true, but with God, it's not. With, when you have a, a perfect God who wants the best for you, then submitting to that is the best thing. And it, it's not a, a loss, it's a success, right? It's a favorable or desired outcome. And what we've got to remember is that a favorable or desired outcome for a, a follower of Christ might look different than a favorable or desired outcome for someone in the world, right? It may not be the promotion. It may not be the fancy car. It may not be the bigger house, but it will be a, an outcome that matters so much more eternally um, because of it. So um, for a Christ follower, success, when we define success and this different from the world, success is not promoting myself, right? When you're in a job, you're always told you got you to gotta make sure they recognize, you got to make sure they see you. And you got to promote yourself, because if you don't speak up for yourself, who will, right? I heard that when I was coming up. Um, but for a Christ follower, success is not about promoting yourself. It's about exalting Christ. It's about making sure he gets recognition. So when someone praises you, you want them to know that that was, that was Christ that made that possible. When someone looks at your family and says, how do you guys have this? How do your kids like being around you? How does your wife like being around you, right? Like, how do you, how do you guys fight? And I know you fought last week and still be okay at the end of it. Then we don't say, well, we're just that good, right? We say um, that, that Jesus healed our hearts, right? That, that we came out of two broken backgrounds and God pieced the, put the pieces back together in a beautiful way. For a Christ follower, success is not securing a position, it's saving people, right? It's not about getting the next position. And that's, man, I'll, I'll tell you, going in a work environment, um, you know, I get, our people get antsy if they don't change their title within a certain amount of time. They feel like if they have the same title for too long, they're stuck and they're not moving forward and, and something's wrong. And I think even as Christians, we can fall into that a little bit and feel like, man, I'm not, <clears throat> I don't feel like I'm advancing myself. And really, it's about who around us is being saved. What's the impact I'm having for other people? And what Jesus said and what Jesus did is he said, I will leave the best position in the universe to save others, right? Is your position more important than sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, right? Probably not. And that's what Jesus left so that we could be saved, so that we could have success. And so Jesus said, I will be humiliated. I will be beaten and spat on and made fun of by my own people if it means that you get the win, if it means that you get to move forward and, and be blessed by it. And that's the, if we are a Christ follower, we're going to have that same attitude. In 1 Peter 1.13, it says, So then prepare your hearts and your minds for action. Stay alert and fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. 
And he's letting them know, like, you got to be ready for action. Like, the hardship's going to come, and it's not going to get a lot easier. But if you will submit, if you will hold to your submission and, and recognize that the victory is coming, right, that the victory is here, that if you will hold to that and not give up, then amazing things are going to, the success is going to come from that, even if it doesn't look good for a while. In 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul. Maintain good conduct among the non-Christians so that though they, may, though, though they now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. Over and over again, you're going to see these, these two emphases in, in 1 Peter. It's, when it talks about submission, it talks about submission, um, that submission in times of suffering will glorify Christ, that when you submit, when times are hard, then people are going to see that and they're going to give Christ credit for it. And then also your submission will make an eternal difference in the lives of the people around you. That, that when you submit to God, those blessings will come not just for you, but for the people around you. They'll inevitably be blessed by it as well. Submission is not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of insecurity. It's a sign of humility and security. When I am, when I am rejecting the guidance of others, when others are offering to take the lead for a while and help me out, and I reject that, and I hold control for myself, that is when I'm at my most insecure and my most weak, right? That's not a sign of strength. Holding that control when others have a better way is not a sign of strength. It feels strong. It feels safe, but it's the opposite of that. And I've proven that. I have given you guys ample examples of my life of how seizing control and doing it myself is, is not the way to go. And it doesn't work. Insecurity breeds defiance, right? And security makes way for submission. But when I am insecure, I will be defiant because I'm trying to figure it out for myself. So my call to submission and my success, how do I submit and bring that success? How do I get that success that God is talking about? And the first thing I need to remember is that as a believer, I am to submit to God. That is the most important thing. If I don't get this one down, then the rest of this message does no good, right? I've got to submit to God first because it's the foundation, it's the groundwork for everything else we're going to build up after this. In 1 Peter 2.13, it says, for the Lord's sake, submit yourselves. Now, Lord is an interesting word. We don't have an equivalent for it in our vernacular, right? Like, I don't have anyone in my life who I would call Lord, right? That would be weird. If someone came up to you and said, I am your Lord now, like, I'd be like, Voldemort, like, I don't know. Like, I don't have any, like, I don't have any, like, real world connotation to that. And then they were at a time where they did have Lords. They had, you know, Caesars and Kings and, and rulers, you know, that really were their Lord. And so it's weird for us yeah, I think it gets watered down sometimes when we say Lord. We don't because we don't have anything to compare it to. It's hard. Um, but what Lord means, what it meant for them, and what it should mean for us is when you call someone Lord, they're in control. They call all of the shots, right? When you when you don't do that, then you lose the protection that comes from being with them and all the blessings that would come from that. If your doctor is calling the shots and he says, "I've diagnosed it. I know exactly what you need. This is our treatment plan." And you say, you know what? You're not the boss of me. I'm going to go my own way, right? I reject your plan. Well, then you lose all the blessings that would have come from his diagnosis, right? And his action plan, all that goes away. And it's the same way with God. If we say, I, God, I love you, um, but you know what? I've got my own way and, and I'm not going with you on this one. Then there's all the benefits that would have come with that instruction go out the window, right? And, and a lot of the other things that, that would have followed in our life don't work out. So all submission, all the other submission that we're going to talk about today flows from my submission to Christ, and Christ is my Lord. When we find ourselves 
fighting submission in some other area, then a lot of times it's because we really don't believe that Christ is Lord. Because if Christ told me to submit to it and I'm rejecting that, then ultimately it's his authority that I'm rejecting. It's ultimately his instruction that I'm running away from. And I don't, I don't submit to everything. I only submit to that which God called me to, right? So there's, it doesn't mean that we just are doormats to everybody. Daniel, you know, it's like Wes talked about this morning in Bible class, Daniel refused to submit to the king's authority when the king asked him to pray or commanded him to pray to, to him instead of to God. And Daniel said, I will not do that. But in every other way, he was submissive to a, a foreign king who was terrible to his people. Right? But when it came, he drew the line at where it would violate God's commands. Peter and John stood up against local Jewish authorities when they were told to stop preaching about Jesus. And they said, you know what? You decide for yourselves who you're going to obey. I obey God, not man. Right? And that's what they said boldly and, and in defiance of what was being told to them. In Romans 8, 6 through 8, their, ultimately their loyalty was to Jesus. Right? In Romans 8, it says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, right? And some of us have figured out in this life that self-rule is death. When you are driven by what you want, when you're driven by what you feel in the moment, then you end up in some terrible places, right? If I always ate what I felt like eating, it wouldn't be good, right? I'd have like scurvy or some crazy like, you know, 1600s disease because I didn't get the right nutrition. I'd have, you know, there'd be something terrible would happen if I only did the things I felt like doing. If you just went to work when you felt like going to work, most of us wouldn't be employed anymore, right? Like when we just do, when we are run by our fleshly desires and we're run by what we feel like doing, then it goes poorly. And, and God can't give you, and when you, sometimes in my life, I have, I've done whatever I felt like doing, and then when I hit rock bottom, I hit my knees, and I say, God, give me more self-control. And it's like, I've got nothing to work with, right? Like, we got to at least start. Let's start by submitting. Let's start by taking some steps and following me. Then I can build up your self-control, but I can't give you self-control when you are controlling yourself and pushing me out of the way. My submission success. So my submission is to God. My submission is to Christ. My submission success what comes out of that submission is I get God's guidance and I get God's life and I get God's peace. That's what comes out. If I will submit to God, the success story from that is I get his guidance, I get the life that he's promised, and I get the peace that he's promised. I don't have to roam around endlessly just chasing after whatever I feel like and wondering why it never works out, right? I don't have to worry all the time about how things are going to go when I know that I've got a God who's providing for me. There's, there's peace and life that comes with that. There's a whole new level of peace when you're, you know, when you're driving around with someone, when you're in a new place and you don't know the language and you don't know the streets and you don't know anything else, there is a, it's a very different experience to be there by yourself and to be there with a local right, who like knows all the good restaurants, knows where you definitely should not eat, right, <laughs> knows the language, can talk to the other people, right, there's a peace that comes with that, and we are foreigners in this land, and we need God to come alongside us and show us what that looks like. In Romans 6, 16, it says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, what I want us to notice there is that it only gives two options. It only says you will either be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. And the problem that we run into, because sometimes I feel like I am running my life, 
But the reality is I am not powerful enough to overcome Satan and the forces of this world. The currents of culture, the currents of what's normal in this world, the currents of my broken family history, the currents of my past mistakes all sweep me away unless I've got an anchor to hold me firm. Right? And I am not strong enough to run my life. And I know that because when I am running my life, inevitably I end up doing things that I did not want to do. Right? If I was really running my life, I wouldn't end up there, but I'm not. And so I, I think I am, and I launch off, and then I end up in the last place that I wanted. And I have you know, family members who I've, I've, I remember going on walks with, um, with one of Crystal's sisters, and, and, and they were teenagers, and they, they had a broken um, family background with their mom. And I remember going on walks with her and, um, and, and just saying, and her saying, I don't want to. I just don't want to do what my mom did and, and just pleading like I don't want to do what my mom did. And she had to battle and, and, and really fight to get out of it and took a long, hard road to escape the current that, that came from just following her mom's footsteps. It's really hard not to do that. And you need an anchor that's going to get you there. And the only one that I've found is God. He's the only one who can withstand the current. And the real question is not, will I submit, but to whom will I submit? Right? You will submit. You will tap out. This world is too strong. When you play mercy with this world, it will bend you back. Right? You cannot hold it back. So who am I going to submit to? Right? Who is going to get the win there? And it's not going to be me unless I follow the one who can get me there. So as a reminder for that, every week we get together and we take communion. And we take communion because we need to remember who we're surrendering to. We need to remember what surrender looked like for Jesus. And for Jesus, that meant leaving his home in heaven to come down, be beaten and crucified and broken for us so that we could have a way home. Um, so we have bread set up in the back and, and juice that's been poured out. And, and, and what Jesus said when he passed around bread and he passed around a cup to his disciples, as he said, this is my body, this is my blood. And when you take this into you, when you, when you take this meal together, you're remembering not only that I made this sacrifice for you, but this is the life I'm calling you to. That if you will follow me, this is what this looks like. I love, I love that Jesus was always upfront about what life with him looked like. Right? He never pretended like it was okay. He never said, hey, we're going to stay at this ritzy hotel. Everything's going to be great. And then you show up and it's just like rocks. And you're like, this isn't it. Right? No, he was upfront. He said, I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. You want to follow me? I don't know where I'm going to lay my head tonight. I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. But if you want to follow me, let's go. He called us to a life of sacrifice that is, is ultimately awesome, um, but there's no way around submitting to him to do it. So let's pray. We'll take communion together and we'll come back. Um, Father God, thank you for showing us through your son, through the sacrifice of sending your son here, what it looks like to submit, what it looks like to follow you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our mind. Lord, I pray when in those moments where I'm tempted to seize back control, in those moments I'm tempted to fall back on um, the little things that I did to comfort myself, to distract myself, um, that ultimately led to death over and over again, that I would run from that and run into your arms. Um, and I pray that for, for each person in this room, that we would uh, be brave enough to submit, that we would be brave enough to recognize that the creator of the universe and the creator of us knows better than we do how to run this life. Um, we love you. Thank you for opening up this avenue to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I spent some time laying a foundation about submitting to God because the next three that I'm going to talk about are the ones that, that we're going to get to have some fun conversations with, all right? So um, this is what, as a believer, when you say you are unmistakable, and when you say you are, uh, we read a verse where it said that you are peculiar, 
right? You are strange in this world. You do things that are not the norm. These are the things that we're talking about. This kind of submission is what we're talking about. As a believer, if I'm going to submit in a way that is unmistakable and in accordance with the Word of God, I am going to submit to the government. Right now, that is something that every four years, half the crowd has a huge problem with. Right, I am, I am called by God to submit to the government in action and in attitude, and and there there is clear language in there for that. In First Peter two, thirteen and fourteen, it says, "For the Lord's sake, submit yourselves to every human authority, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and praise those who do right." Now we are frustrated by this because we have human leaders that are absolutely flawed. There's no denying it, right? There, is, there are so many times where you go and you're like, I don't know who to vote for because they're all a mess. Because they're all humans. And honestly, if I was in there too, everybody would be saying the same thing. I don't know who to vote for. We're all a mess. I haven't found a, a good one yet, right? And, and that's because no one's good except Christ, right? So we're already flawed there. What's interesting is that Peter who wrote this was living during the reign of Nero, who was busy using Christians to light up as torches on the street to Rome, right? So we didn't have, we, whoever we're dealing with, right, however your feelings are about our current leaders, they are not lighting Christians in the street, right, as torches. So Peter dealt with worse than we dealt with, and yet he still said we need to submit ourselves to every human authority. And if we're going to submit to God, here is where it really gets tested. When he calls you to follow something that you don't want to follow, when he calls you to something that you don't want to do, then the authority that you're really bowing down to is God. That's who you're really saying, is he really Lord? Or is he just someone who I obey when I feel like obeying? In Romans 12, 1 and 7, it says, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authorities come from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Now I will say, Sometimes, right? Sometimes, not all rulers are good. That doesn't mean that everything that every ruler does is what God wanted to happen. We know that's true because we have periods in Scripture where it talks about God not wanting them to do the things that He did. But what it says is, and there's a reason for this, and I'm going to go into it, is give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And what it means is that I am called by my God that unless my government is telling me to do something that is against the precepts of Christ and against what I've been taught by Christ, then I am to submit. I am to follow that lead. And the success in that, if I will do that, if I will follow, the, if I will show respect where respect is due, my submission success in that is that I will protect Christ's name. And here's what that looks like. When you start getting identified primarily by what you are against, you have lost your influence, right? If your main identifier is what you hate and what you rail against, then you have lost your influence. And there are a lot of people who've been virulently against certain things in the name of Christ and have gone way off the rails. And I'm not saying that every situation is like this, but the KKK is technically, by their definition, a Christian organization. That's how far off the rails you can get, and they're not alone. Right? And, and what I will say is that when you are known, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's in every time you have a conversation, with, when the main thing that you bring up all the time with everyone you run into is what you are against and what you are upset about, especially when it comes to like government stuff, politics, right? They always say don't talk about religion and politics. Well, I'm giving you the pass on religion. We should definitely talk about that one. But the politics is some dicey territory. I'm not saying you can't ever talk about it, but what, what Christ is saying is that we need to be 
We need to show proper respect. We need to submit to the authorities where we can. In 1 Peter 2.15, it says, For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now that is, doing right is not how I want to silence foolish and ignorant people. Right? When someone comes at me with some foolishness, when someone comes at me with some ignorance, I want to shout them down. Right? When they come at me loud, I want to be louder. And, and make sure that everyone, I drown out anyone who might hear the ridiculous things coming out of this person's mouth. That's what I want to do, but what you, what you run the risk of doing is that you might win the point and lose your purpose, right? You might make your point and lose any chance you had, right? You might alienate. The more obnoxious you get, the more likely you will turn off half of your audience before they ever get to hear about Jesus, right? And that was the point. That was supposed to be the point of the conversation. When Jesus, six months ago, started a track for them that led them to your door, that led them to work with you in your job. He didn't do that so you could complain about the Democrats or the Republicans, right? He did that so you could tell them about him, so that you could wrap your arms around them and break through their hurdles and break through their strongholds and break through the stuff that's been hurting them forever. And when you turn them away from that over some petty stuff that's going to all fade away, right? It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. There's a more important purpose. In 1 Peter 2.17, it says, Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. We got to see a brother play this out in action. Um, Brent, our campus minister out at RSU, Brent and Roxy, got banned by the, the RSU. A member of the RSU administration um, did not like that they were proselytizing. They did not like that they were reaching out to students and trying to convert them. And so they found excuses, got him kicked off campus, uh, made up bogus charges that was corroborated. They were bogus charges. It didn't matter. He still got kicked off. Um, and what he could have done, what he had every right to do was rail and fight against that because there was evidence that it wasn't true. There was clear evidence. And he didn't. He didn't. He went and he got advice and he calmed down and, and he just played it straight. And he said, okay, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve my time off campus. I'm going to do the best I can. God presented these crazy opportunities through Roxy and others that he got involved in community groups and, and all this stuff that he got involved in the lifeblood of, of, of Claremore. And then it started happening that the president of the university was in meetings with his wife, who's awesome, um, and a major player in like community life in Claremore. And, and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're, you're Roxy's husband. Okay, you're all right. Like this, maybe she's got some instant credibility there. Um, so, but he, he didn't rail against it, which who knows how that would have gone and who that would have alienated. And, and now we're back and we're stronger than ever, I would say. Um, we've got inroads we never would have had if he hadn't done that. We've got um, opportunities that we never would have had. And we've been chomping at the bit and it was a hard, it was a hard year and a half. Um, but, but we got through it, and there's awesome things happening now, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, but when it says, look at what it says in that list. Treat everyone you respect with, you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect your government. All of those are not feelings. They are decisions and actions. That means that you don't have to like the person that you are submitting to and respecting. You don't have to agree with the person that you are submitting to and respecting. I promise you, Peter did not like Nero when he was submitting to and respecting him. I promise you, Jesus didn't appreciate the Jewish leaders and the Roman government when he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? He didn't appreciate anything about what Caesar, this is the Caesar that would later say, don't call him Lord, call me Lord. He didn't like that, but he submitted and he said, give him what he's due and we'll do the rest because that respect will, will ultimately allow your goodness to shine. And 1 Peter 2.16, and this is a big one for Americans to hear. 
live as free people, right? We like that. I like that. Go Jesus. Go America, right? Live as free people, but don't hide behind your freedom. Instead, use your freedom to serve God. We live in a free country, and I am so thankful for that. I am thankful for the freedoms I have. I enjoy the freedoms I have. But if I have to give up one of my freedoms for you to win your salvation, then I will absolutely do that. If I have to give up something that I am entitled to, I will do that. Because Jesus showed me what that looked like. He showed me what love looked like. Does exercise, This is the question we ask ourselves. Does exercising my right limit my effectiveness? Right? In this case, does me exercising my right, we always say like your rights end where, where my face begins, right? Like your right to extend your fist ends where my face begins. Well, let's, that's a, a self-centered way to think of it. Let's look at an others-centered way to think of it. My right to extend my fist ends where it limits my effectiveness to reach others for God because it's not about me anymore. Jesus is my Lord. And if he really is my Lord, then he's the one who calls the shots and it's all about him now. It's not about me. And if I have to take a punch to the face to save someone from Jesus, I've never had that circumstance come up. I don't know what that would look like, but if I had to, I would do it, right? Like it's, it's, it's what's necessary. And we've taken some metaphorical punches to the face um, to, to help win people for God. Number three, as a believer, it's going to get even more popular. I am to submit to my boss, right? Great. Um, if Jesus knew my, we, we, sometimes we want to say, if Jesus knew my boss, he wouldn't expect me to submit to them. Again, Nero. But also, like, there's, there's clear instruction in here. And, and again, for people that are in a much worse situation than we, we are, in 1 Peter 2.18, it says, You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. That sounds insane. Right? That sounds absolutely insane to say. And what he's not saying is that he approves of slavery. What he is saying is that if you find yourself in an inescapable position of slavery, the right thing to do is to be the best example you can because that gives you the most influence. It gives you influence over your fellow workers. It gives you influence over your master, your boss, whatever. The right thing to do is to follow God and be in submission to him instead of being obstinate and fighting against it. God will always prioritize character over comfort, right? The, the example of, of what a community looks like is, is the work that's done on the individuals, and he will put us in uncomfortable situations or allow us to go through uncomfortable situations or use uncomfortable situations that we don't have a way out of to do good things, even if they're not something, a situation that he wanted to happen in the first place. And when that happens, I get my submission success story from that. When I submit to my boss, I receive God's approval. I don't need his approval, her approval. I've got God's approval. In 1 Peter 2.19, it says, For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. If you are only submitting to those who reward you for it, that's nothing special. Anybody can submit to someone who pays them to submit, right? Like that's, that's an easy thing to do. But when you submit to someone who's not treating you right, I think about when, when Stephen was in front of the Sanhedrin and they were, they were questioning him and badgering him and he kept talking about who Jesus was and how important it was for them to recognize that. And it got to the point where they've got stones in their hand ready to stone him and he stood, still stood firm. He still stood up and stood for what his ultimate loyalty was even though he was being treated unfairly. And it says in that moment as he's dying that he looks up and he sees Jesus standing there at the side of God. 
Now, we don't see Jesus standing. We see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. That's where Jesus belongs, on his throne. But when Stephen stood up and showed his loyalty in an unfair situation, that got Jesus on his feet. That's a big deal. I want to get Jesus on his feet, right? I want to get in a situation where, where my submission is such that he says, you are, you are clearly loyal to me, right? You want to be my servant. And the other success is I become more Christ-like. All God is asking us to do is submission that is like Jesus. Jesus went through all kinds of unfair situations. Almost nothing in his life was fair. And yet consistently, he, he submitted where he could submit, and then he led where he needed to lead. In 1 Peter 2.21, it says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow his steps. Now, this is interesting coming from Peter, because Peter was there when Jesus was submitting. Peter was there when Jesus was being beaten and insulted and, and crucified. And what Peter did when he saw Jesus' submission and had a chance to follow that was run the other direction and say he didn't know him. Right? And, and Jesus' submission in that moment must have looked insane. Right? You submitted to these rulers, these foreign rulers who have nothing to do with us, and you got killed for it. Now where are we? Now what was the point of all this? What was the point of the last three and a half years? What was the point of all the teaching? Because now you're dead. Right? And what was the point of all that? And what changed everything for Peter is when Jesus came back. And when Jesus came back and he saw the first people, he said, I need you to go tell the apostles, and I really need you to tell Peter. Right? He's the main one who needs to hear that I'm back, because he needs to know that that wasn't the end of the story, that my submission did not end in defeat, but my submission ended in success. And later, he went, Peter went through his own sufferings and stayed true and, and gave strength to the church, and, and it was all because Jesus did it first. But he submitted to authorities in ways. He was, ended up being crucified like Jesus was. Right? He went through a lot, and he went through a lot even before that. But he submitted, and his influence grew because of it. And then finally, and this is a situational one, but as a believer, I am to submit to my skeptical spouse. If I have a skeptical spouse, if I have a spouse who is not about it, who does not want anything to do with this Jesus thing, I am to submit to them. Again, this is a scary thing in a marriage. I didn't say my skeptical husband right? I said my skeptical spouse, because it goes both ways, right? It can go either way. And, and in fact, in, in 1 Peter 3, 1, um, when it says, wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, it also talks about husbands submitting to their wives. It's both. It's a mutual submission um, that the goal is, is to be closer to Christ, is to bring others closer to Christ. And so we are to submit in any way that does not conflict with my relationship with Christ. Now, if your husband or wife is like, I need you to not go to church anymore, right? I need you to not do this Jesus thing yourself, then that's out of bounds. My ultimate loyalty is to Christ. But what, what happens is, in 1 Peter 3, 1, it says, in the same spirit, as another way of saying it, in the same spirit, you married women should adapt yourselves to your husbands. And I've seen it go both ways. But when you adapt, when you, when you are willing to do the right thing, even when they're not, when you're willing to live a life that looks like Christ and not use their disobedience or their frustration as an out to, to follow suit, then you have the success of a greater likelihood of winning your mate. You have the success of a greater chance of having influence. Again, submission leads to influence, and it doesn't make any sense from a worldly standpoint, right? But from God's perspective and what we see over and over again in Scripture, the proof is there. Submission leads to influence. If I will treat them with respect, if I'll treat them um, with respect even when they don't necessarily deserve respect, right? If I'll treat them with love even when they don't act very lovable, 
right? Because guess what? We are following the lead of who? We are following the lead of the one who said, while they were still my enemies, I died for you, right? We were not attractive. We were not lovable. We were not deserving of respect. When, when Christ said, you will be my bride, right? When Christ said, I will engage in a lifelong relationship covenant with you. And so we're to do that with everyone else as well. In 1 Peter 2.21, it says, So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Submission is the key to influence. And what we have learned, what so many of us have learned, is that we submit to someone, and a lot of us have submitted to the wrong thing for a long time. A lot of us have submitted to our insecurity. A lot of us have submitted to the lies that our parents told us or our family members told us. A lot of us have submitted to the hurts that we went through when we were a kid that we never got over. A lot of us have submitted to the embarrassment of the replay of the real, of all the stupid things we've done and the ways that we've hurt people. And we've, we've let that beat us down, right? We've submitted to that. And it is time to stop submitting to that mess and start submitting to the one who can set you free. Right? It's time today to start submitting to the one who can break your chains and give you a confidence and a humility and a holiness and a submission that will make you powerful and influential with the people around you. Let's pray. Um, Father God, submission is not my favorite thing um, in, a, in, a, in a selfish way. Um, but Lord, I have, I have tried it and I have chased after you and, and over and over again you've proven true. And so I pray that everyone in this room would have that experience, that they would give you the opportunity to lead their lives, give you the opportunity to show them a better way than, than what was laid out before them, and than what they can figure out on their own. Lord, this world has a lot of pull. There's a current going along that, that would lead us in certain directions, that would lead us into, into meaningless fights, um, Lord, into, into pointless controversies, into constant angst and anxiety and frustration. Um, with work, with government, with school, with everything. And Lord, you want to set us free of all that. You want to set us on a path that would lead us to, to not only be free in our hearts, but to set other hearts free as well. So help us down that path in Jesus' name. Amen. Patient cards um, in your bulletins. Uh, for our members, we're going to pass around offering buckets. Um, that's a chance for our members to give financially for our guests. What we would love instead of that is if you just share how we can help you today. If you can share um, what we can pray for you about, how we can serve you. Um, if you want a Bible study, whatever it is, we want to be here for you. Thank you.